Thank you for listening to the Abundant Life Sermon Podcast. Abundant Life is based out of Lee Summit, Missouri and has campuses throughout the Kansas City metro area and online. We want to see your life changed by Jesus. For more information about Abundant Life or for locations and service times, visit livingproof.co. Thanks for listening. Good morning, church. Second Thessalonians. We are in the book of Second Thessalonians, going line by line, verse by verse. We've covered the first Thessalonians. Now we're in Second Thessalonians. We're studying two letters from the Apostle Paul to the ancient church of Thessalonica. So much in our time, so much that is relevant for the days in which we live. So I actually had a chance to go down to one week. This week, I was there on Wednesday. First thing I saw when I got up to the uh, auditorium where they meet is this right here, a coffin. So of course I immediately inquired, what is going on with a coffin? And it was there that I looked in and I saw all of these. Hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of lies that must die. You see, the theme was no time to lose, and you don't have any time to lose. We have no time to lose, but to win, something's got to die. You know what Jesus said? If you really want to be alive, you've got to die, that if you'll seek to save your life, you're going to lose your life, but if you will lose your life, the same shall save it. Guys, I want to celebrate this. Hundreds and hundreds of young people that this week gave up their life to get all in with Jesus, and hundreds and hundreds of lies. Let me just read some of these. Um, The lie of comparison materialism, addiction, uh, control, uh, feeling the need constantly to be in control. Any control freaks in the house? Yeah, that's not just teens. It could be some moms and dads too. Don't know, just saying. See, here's the reality. We live in freedom, and Jesus said, you'll be free if you know the truth. And Jesus said, the truth shall set you free. But it's the lies of the enemy that keep us living in mediocrity and captivity. You know what Jesus said about Satan? Jesus said about Satan, our adversary, that he is a liar, and he's a liar from the beginning. He's the father of lies, that when he speaks, he speaks not the truth, for the truth is not in him. You see, the reality is this coffin is a coffin of deception. There's some lies that must die, and we got no time to lose. It is absolutely urgent. And today, as we study 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, we're going to see some lies that have to die because we are living at a time of deception and a time of distortion. And in the days ahead, we're going to see a growing momentum of deception and distortion. As a matter of fact, the Apostle Paul is going to warn this ancient church about a future deception that I'm convinced we are even now seeing the props and the players being laid on the foundation. Now, we've called the church at Thessalonica the church of irresistible influence. We've learned that they are the model church, that in these two letters, there is no condemnation. There's only commendation. The Apostle Paul is writing them to basically encourage them to say, keep doing what you're doing. And I just want to say how proud I am, not just with 120 volunteers, thank you for pouring your life this week into the life of teenagers, but teenagers, students, I am so proud of what you've allowed God to do in you and what you're going to let God do through you. Let's give it up for all of them right now. We are with you. I mean, we believe in you. And I'm telling you, church, for all the bad news, there is some good news. I think, really, we're seeing another Jesus revolution in the youngest generation. And that's what's going on in the first century. There was a Jesus revolution going on in Thessalonica. 
And part of this letter now is to warn these early Christians about this coming deception. It is the same deception Paul's going to write about that Jesus talked about in Matthew 24 and verse 24. Jesus warned, he said this, for false Christs and false prophets will rise and show great signs and wonders to deceive, if possible, even the elect. Now, what is the elect? When you see that term in scripture, the elect has to do with you and me, the children of the living God, born again by faith in the blood of the Son of God. That's the elect of God. And so what Jesus is teaching, that if it were possible, it's not possible, but if it were possible, even you and I could be deceived. This deception that is coming is going to be so irresistible that masses of humanity will be deceived by what they see. It's going to be so convincing that if it were possible, even you and me, believers and followers of the true and living God, could be deceived. And now he writes to the Thessalonians an open letter to every Christian from every generation to warn them of this coming deception. Chapter 2 and verse 1. If you're ready for this, say, don't be deceived. Lies must die. Here we go. Now, brethren, he writes, or sisterin, as it may apply. Now, brethren or sisterin, concerning the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ and our gathering together to him, we ask of you. And I want you to notice this is the reason he's written the second letter. Uh, the early Christians in Thessalonica had been taught a lot by Paul about the second coming. One of the tenets of Christianity is we believe Jesus is coming again. He promised to one day return. He came out of the grave. And we know Jesus is going to return because of the resurrection. The tomb is empty. And anybody that prophesied their own death and predicted their own resurrection and actually did it can be believed, yes? Yeah. See, I'm convinced Jesus is coming back because I'm convinced that Jesus is not in the grave. And now they've learned a lot from Paul about the second coming. But it's like anything, you learn it and hear it for the first time. You know, you ask one question, it leads to another question. And then that question leads to another question. And so probably they have written him going, Paul, we didn't quite understand that. Can you explain that again? Paul, we didn't quite get that. Could, could you go over that again? Now he's getting to the reason for the second letter. They've asked them specifically about the second coming. Notice Paul says, I'm writing you now about the coming of our Lord Jesus and our gathering together with him. Now, the gathering has to do with the rapture of the church, not to be confused with the second coming. Collectively, they're called the day of the Lord in Scripture. But they're not the same thing. Remember, we've talked about this a few weeks ago. The rapture is where Jesus comes for his bride. The second coming is where Jesus comes back with his bride. And the Bible prophesies a seven-year tribulation in between these two events. And so now he's going to answer the question because these early Christians are shaken because they've been believing that the rapture has happened. They've been left behind, and they're already in the tribulation. He says, I don't want you to be soon shaken in mind or troubled either by spirit or by word or by letter, as if from us, as though the day of Christ had come. The day of Christ specifically is a reference to the rapture of the church. I want you to notice somebody has written letters forging Paul's signature. Uh, counterfeit apostles writing counterfeit letters. Look at what it says. Either by spirit or by word or by letter, as if from us. Did you know in the early days of Christianity, there were counterfeit teachers, false teachers, counterfeit apostles, posers, imposters. Just like today, in this late hour of Christianity. Today, there are false teachers. Uh, there are counterfeit apostles, people who claim to be apostles. 
meaning they're getting new revelation from God. See, for all this change, a lot is still exactly the same. And so you have these counterfeit teachers claiming to be apostles who are not, and they've written the Thessalonians letters saying, y'all have been left behind. Uh, the rapture has come and gone, and you're still here, and the Thessalonians are going through such intense tribulation, they think they're actually in the tribulation. And now Paul's writing them saying, calm down, guys, calm. Everything's going to be okay. You haven't been left behind. If I was going to put this in modern vernacular, I might read it something like this. Do not be soon shaken in mind or troubled by something you hear on YouTube or Facebook by that Christian podcaster and YouTuber who gets more likes and followers, thereby more money, just by stirring everybody up into a frenzy. Really. I mean, some of us need to get buried in the Word of God and spend a little bit less time on Facebook. Because, see, what we're going to learn is prophecy. We're going to learn about the second coming. And if it doesn't give us a sense of calm and confidence, then something is wrong. Listen, the goal is not to work everybody up into a hysteria and a frenzy. Yet that is often what happens. Uh, when we talk about the second coming at end times, the only reason God tells us ahead of time what's going to happen and everything God ever does, he tells us ahead of time what he's going to do, not to scare us, but to prepare us. Hey, the rest of the world's going crazy. It is a time of lunacy, but you and I don't have to lose our mind just because everybody else is. But I'm trying to tell you, if you're not focused on the rock, if you're not anchored to the rock, you will get blown away. It's going to be a time of growing distortion and growing deception. And he's writing this letter now, I'm convinced for us, not just these early Christians saying, calm down, it's going to be okay. You're on the winning side. Now he's going to answer some questions they've asked him, like how do we know what to look for? He's going to give five things now to look for specifically in the days ahead. And this first one I'm about to give you, I'm convinced, is the number one reason in our lifetime we can be certain we are living in the days shortly before the rapture of the church. And it's this, the great apostasy of the modern church. Paul prophesied 2,000 years ago the very thing we are now witnessing in our lifetime. Look at what he says now. It's one of the signs of the rapture is near. It says in verse three, let no one deceive you by any means for that day will not come unless the falling away comes first. Now this phrase falling away, it comes from the Greek word apostia from which we get the word apostasy. What is apostasy? Apostasy is when you once had the truth, believed the truth, had embraced the truth, but now you've turned from the truth, you've walked away from the truth, and you have rejected the truth. That's, that's apostasy, that's the, the falling away. I want you to notice, you can't fall away from something that you never were. See, we're not talking here about false religions, Hinduism, Buddhism, Islam, these are false religions because we're talking about false gods, but Hindus and those uh, Muslims and others, listen, they never embraced the truth to begin with. They never embraced Jesus as the way, the truth, and the life, and no one comes to the Father but by him. No, we're talking about something else that we're now witnessing in our lifetime. In mass, there is a falling away of the church from the truth. It's never happened before in 2,000 years of church history. Now listen carefully. There's always been Christians that fell away. There's always been churches that fell away. There's always been theologians that fell away, pastors that fell away. But never have we ever witnessed it in mass. 
Did you know that up to 80% of American churches deny biblical authority, biblical inerrancy, and if you don't have a authority, I'm talking about a standard, a measuring rod of what is right from what is wrong, you will easily lose the truth. You will lose your way. And this is what has happened in modern Christianity. And we're watching it now happen, denomination after denomination that once believed the truth, has abandoned the truth, pastor after pastor, church after church, once had the truth, now rejecting the truth. That's called apostasy. We're watching the emergence of the end times church prophesied 2,000 years ago with this great falling away. The great falling away prophesied by Paul is a super sign the rapture is near. Now, I've given you recently some prophecies related to Christ second coming that has been done and fulfilled just in the last century. Think about this for a moment. Prophecies that lay dormant for hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of years. For example, Jesus could not return while the Jews were not in the land. And a hundred years ago, the Jews began returning from all over the nations back to the land of their forefathers, prophesied specifically by the Hebrew prophet Ezekiel. Jesus in Luke 21, 24, that the second coming was near only when the Jews were back in Jerusalem, no longer trampled underfoot by Gentiles. 1967, for the first time since 70 AD, the Jews rolled back into Jerusalem, a super sign that his coming is near. But even then, we could not have seen this falling away Paul talks about. Only in the last 50, 60, 70 years has it began to happen. When you hear this word progressive Christianity, let me say, maybe be clear about this. Now, don't think politically. That's the word we use politically. I'm not talking politics. I'm talking theology. You hear about progressive theology, progressive Christianity. Just for clarity, this is what this means. Progressive Christianity teaches things that are distinctly unchristian. Like there's certain things if you don't believe, you may be a good person, but whatever else you are, you're not a Christian. Like if you don't believe Jesus is God, the deity of Christ, that's a basic tenet of Christianity. A man cannot save you. Jesus had to be more than a man. He was God who became a man. Amen? That's part of what we believe as Christians. Progressive Christianity says, well, no, maybe not really. I mean, he might have been just this amazing moral teacher, and there's a lot of lessons we can learn from him, and we follow him for his moral teaching. But here's the reality. If he wasn't more than a moral teacher, then he can't be our Savior. Did you know that progressive Christianity teaches at times the resurrection isn't real? It's not literal. It's merely allegorical. It's a metaphor. 1 Corinthians 15 tells us, the Apostle Paul wrote, if the resurrection is not historical, if it doesn't happen, then we're all still dead in our sins. There's no such thing as a dead Savior. Yeah, this is progressive theology in our day. You hear progressive leaders in churches say things like, well, Jesus is my way, but he's not the way. I mean, Jesus is a good way. I mean, he's our way, but he's not the only way. All roads lead to heaven. Yet Jesus said, I'm the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father but by me. You see, Jesus could make this exclusive claim that he is the only way because he's the only one who ever died for our sin and rose again. He's the only one in history that went into the grave but three days later, he rose from the dead, and he's alive today. Amen. And these are things that if you don't believe, whatever else you might be, you're just not a Christian. doesn't matter what you say. Yet we're watching the church itself become distinctly unchristian. Though it still claims to be Christian. 
See, it's redefining what it means to be a Christian. And that's exactly what Paul prophesied, and we're watching it in our own day. God describes the end times church as a harlot because she has prostituted the truth with lies. Instead of the church that is chaste, 2 Corinthians chapter 11 and verse 2. This, 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 this chaste virgin bride of Christ that has not prostituted truth with lies. The church is now prostituting Christianity with the lies of the enemy. And that is why when you come to the end times, listen, this isn't my description. This is the description of the Lord Jesus Christ. When he looks at the end times bride, the end times church, Revelation 17, 5, and on her forehead a name was written, Mystery Babylon the Great, the mother of harlots and the abominations of the earth. But shortly before he comes, the church has embraced all religions and all gods and all faith systems. It's just uh, another way to God. There are many ways to God. You choose Jesus, somebody else chooses Olive Boot. It doesn't matter. They're all the same. Does that sound familiar in our day? And he says, it's a harlot bride because you prostituted the truth with lies. Now, let me be clear about this. Just because other churches are falling away doesn't mean we have to. Just because other Christians are falling away, some of which you probably know, your friends, perhaps even family members are falling away, you don't have to. Just because other pastors are falling away, I'm not going to, I'm not participating. <laughs> I'm gonna stay. <laughs> and I would suggest you don't participate either because this is the, the growing deception, the distortion that we're witnessing in Western civilization. If you don't have a GPS, I'm talking about a global, God's global positioning system, you will get lost. So I told the story on the way down to one week this week, a bunch of our pastors drove down together. It was Wednesday. First time I ever went to Lake Williamson. First time we ever used that facility in Illinois for our student uh, one week youth camp. And I'm driving down. I'm the camp speaker that night. The theme this week was no time to lose. Well, check it out. I had no time to lose. <laughs> I'm the camp speaker. They're expecting me to be there. And I'm using my GPS to get there. And Lake Williamson was like nowhere Illinois. Like, literally, it's in nowhere, Illinois. <laughs> I don't know what county it is. I would call it Corn County because everywhere you look is corn as far as the eyes could see. And my GPS takes me down the back roads, little country roads to get there. And uh, as far as I can see in every direction, I'm literally surrounded in a sea of corn. Now, I'm using my GPS, and what happened was it drained the battery, and I had forgotten my charger. I have no time to lose. I'm supposed to be there. I need to speak. I'm called to preach. And I am completely lost now in a sea of corn. I'm not making this up. My first time there, this was me, as far as the eye could see. I mean, as far as I could see, corn, left and right, corn. I'm literally lost in a sea of corn. I get down to one intersection, look left, look right. All I could see is corn. I look straight ahead. All I can see is corn. I have no GPS. I am now completely lost in this sea of corn. I'm not making this up. Like, I had no kernel of hope whatsoever. That was so corny, wasn't it? Just couldn't resist, sorry. 
Now, here's the deal. I'm usually pretty good with directions. I have a little bit of a homing thing in me. I, I think so anyway. I'm still confident. I'm going to make it. I need to go west. I know I need to go west. A little two-lane highway I'm going to hit eventually if I just keep going west. So I'm going west. I'm driving. I'm driving faster and faster. I've got no time to lose. I'm still going. I'm going the right direction. I know I am. I think I am. I'm feeling it. I'm not sure of it, but I'm feeling it. All of a sudden, the clouds parted. I could see the sun. I'm driving west. I think to myself, why is the sun on my left? It should be here, but it's over here. Wait a minute. I must not be driving west. I've been driving north. I've been driving the wrong direction. I thought I was going the right direction. I was going on feeling. I was feeling it. Do you understand that if you're not using an absolute standard, did you know that the word of God was given to us, not for God to hide himself, but to reveal himself, and this is your global positioning system. It gives you your correct location, it tells you the destination, and gives you a direction. And did you know that Satan, our adversary, has taken the church's global positioning system? And what happens, the church lost sight of the sun. I had lost sight of the sun. It was a cloudy, cloudy day. It was a dark day. And because I'd lost sight of the sun, S-U-N, not only did I not have a GPS, but I had no idea the direction I was going. Only when I saw the sun did I understand I was going the wrong direction. Do you understand we live at a time where the church has lost sight of the sun, S-O-N? Because when you abandon the word of God, the son of God abandons you. John 1 verse 1, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. And verse 14 says, the Word became flesh and dwelt among us. You cannot claim to be following the living Word, the Lord Jesus, if you're not following the written Word. I'm talking about the Bible. And that's what's happened to the modern church. That's why there's now this falling away. It's the deception. It's the distortion. Somebody says, but Pastor Phil, I feel I'm doing the right thing. No, listen carefully. Your feelings will deceive you. Your feelings can be 100% authentic and 100% wrong. My feeling was 100% authentic. I'm going the right way. But it was also 100% wrong. Yeah, that's what we do in our day. Well, Phil, I, I just, you know, I've been taught to follow my heart. Guess what Jeremiah 17, 9 says? The heart is deceitful and desperately wicked. Your own heart will deceive you. Your own heart will lie to you. Don't follow your heart. Follow Jesus. That's your global positioning system, or you will be lost in a sea of deception, like I was lost in a sea of corn. <laughs> Now listen, what happens? There's going to be the separation. Jesus taught a parable of the wheat and the tares. Now we're not a lot of farm boys and farm girls around here, but in the ancient days, it was an agrarian society. They would have been very familiar with this image Jesus used. He said, don't separate the wheat and the tares till the time of the harvest, because you can't really tell the truth about which is which. You can't tell the wheat from the weeds. And he was teaching toward the time of the end, there would be false Christians, counterfeit Christians, who profess Christ but don't really possess Christ. What is the rapture of the church? It's the time of the harvest where the wheat and the tares are separated. And so what happens at the rapture, the true church is taken away with him, as Paul said, caught up with him. 
gathered together with him, and the false church, the apostate church, is left here on the earth. So that's the next thing Paul says to look for. After you have this falling away, of which we're now living, you have the rapture of the church. Verse three, let no one deceive you by any means, for that day will not come unless the falling away comes first and the man of sin is revealed, the son of perdition. Now, he goes by many titles in scripture. The one we're most familiar with is the Antichrist. Paul calls him now the man of sin, the son of perdition, who opposes and exalts himself above all that is called God or that is worship, so that he sits as God in the temple of God, showing himself that he is God. Do you not remember that when I was still with you, I told you these things. Like, I understand what Paul's doing here because there are times, guys, you know, you ask me a question and I think to myself, did you not hear what I just said two weeks ago? I preached on this. Now, it's okay. I know there's a lot to remember. A lot coming at you. That's what Paul, okay, guys, I, I, I know there's a lot to remember here, so let me rehearse kind of what I've already said. You remember, you remember when we were together, I taught you this. Let me go over this again. He says, and now you know what is restraining that he, the Antichrist, may be revealed in his own time. For the mystery of lawlessness, the spirit of Antichrist, is already at work. Only he, that's the Holy Spirit, who now restrains, will do so until he, the Holy Spirit, is taken out of the way. Now look at what it says. And then the lawless one will be revealed. The Holy Spirit is currently restraining the spirit of Antichrist, restraining the wicked one, the lawless one, the man, from emerging and will do so until he, the Holy Spirit, is taken out of the way and then the lawless one will be revealed. What Paul just taught here is what we commonly call a pre-tribulational rapture. You see, the Spirit of God currently lives where? In the people of God. What happens at the rapture of the church? God removes the people of God, thereby removing the restrainer, the spirit of God, and then the lawless one is emerging. He then will be revealed. You think the world is getting darker and more deceptive and more ominous than ever, full of debauchery and depravity? Just remove the preserving influence of the body of Christ from all over the world, and it's gonna be a tsunami of evil. Immediately, just remove the body of Christ and with it the Spirit of God. Currently, the Spirit of God is restraining the Spirit of Antichrist. But when the people of God are removed, the Spirit of God goes too. And then the lawless one will be revealed. You see, it's currently God's spirit and God's people restraining satanic wickedness from complete world domination. And that seven-year tribulation prophesied on the earth is satanic domination, which is embodied in a man, a political leader. The Bible prophesies will emerge after the rapture. That's the third thing Paul talks now about, the emergence of the Antichrist himself. He says the spirit of lawlessness is already at work. The spirit of Antichrist has been at work for 2,000 years, opposing the work of the true and living Christ, deceiving people from believing the light of the gospel. But now the Antichrist emerges after the rapture. 
Now, what do we know about the Antichrist? He will broker a seven-year peace treaty with Israel and her enemies, allowing the Jews to rebuild the temple. This is why all eyes are continually on this little piece of real estate in the Middle East. Think about it. What's so important about Israel? That the entire globe is focused on this little piece of real estate in the Middle East. There's a reason even non-believing people who don't believe the Bible, who don't believe in Jesus, all focus on what is happening, current events on Israel. I'll tell you why. Because Israel will be the world platform for the showdown of the ages and the props and the players are already being positioned. Now guys, I have grown as a preacher because there was a time I tried to tell you everything there is to know about everything every time. Don't have the time. So I'm just going to kind of give you a flyover, but a year ago right now, we're doing verse by verse through the book of Daniel. Remember that? Just a year ago. (laughs) And the last six chapters, the last half of Daniel is all about the tribulation and all about a graphic description of this coming world leader. So I'm going to appeal to you to simply go back to Daniel and start watching some of those. But what we know, according to Daniel 9.27, the tribulation begins not with the rapture, but with this political leader that will broker a seven-year peace treaty between Israel and her enemies. And that seven-year peace treaty, when it is signed, is what begins the seven-year countdown toward Armageddon, the second coming of Christ. As a part of that peace treaty, according to Daniel 9, 27, he will allow the Jews to rebuild their temple because the Jews currently cannot worship according to their ancient Levitical system. They cannot worship without a temple. Now, in 52 AD, as Paul was writing this letter, they still had the temple. The temple wasn't torn down by the Romans until 70 AD. And so what Paul's about to teach would have been very believable. But think about this. Since 70 AD, the Jews have not had a temple. When you look on the news, and you see Orthodox Jews in Israel praying at the Wailing Wall, the Western Wall, which was the last retaining wall of the temple torn down by the Romans. What are they doing? They are praying that one day they can rebuild their temple. And I'm telling you, that is not as far-fetched today as it might have been yesterday because there is a movement in Israel today to rebuild their temple. They've already prepared the temple elements of worship. If you go on the Holy Land tour with me, we will leave the western wall and you will see the six foot golden candelabra, a Jewish menorah, the very candelabra that's going to be used in this tribulation temple that they will one day rebuild. They're prepared. They are ready. All they need is somebody to guarantee their peace and safety from their enemies. And as a part of this peace treaty, they will be allowed to rebuild their temple probably Don't know for sure, probably standing right next to the Dome of the Rock, the third most holy site in Islam. And the world will celebrate peace and all the religions of the world coming together under one umbrella. But what they do not know, as the Jews rebuild that temple to worship their God, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, they're actually rebuilding that temple for the Antichrist. Because Daniel 9.27 says, he will break that peace treaty midway through the tribulation. He will sit down in the temple of God and demand to be worshipped as God. Revelation 13 says, under penalty of death. 
It's what Jesus calls in Matthew 24, the abomination of desolation. When this man claims to be God, sitting on the throne of God, being worshiped as God, what has Satan always wanted from the moment he ascended into heaven, that insurrection? Isaiah 14, 12, I will ascend into heaven. I will exalt my throne above the stars of God. I will sit on the mount of the congregation on the sides of the north. I will be like the most high. What he's always wanted is to be worshiped as God. And for a short season, three and a half years, he will have what he's always wanted as Jesus was God incarnate, God in the flesh. This man will be Satan incarnate. Satan in the flesh. This now being worshiped as God, verse four, who opposes and exalts himself above all that is called God or that is worshiped so that he sits as God in the temple of God, showing himself that he is God. What on earth would make modern humans, sophisticated, educated, worship a man as God? The great deception that Jesus warned about in Matthew 24 and verse 24, this satanically empowered man will deceive masses of humanity into worshiping him as God by performing miracles. Why did Jesus do miracles? To prove that he was more than a man, that he was God. Why will this man do miracles? To prove to masses of humanity he's more than a man. And this is what Paul says in verse 9. The coming of the lawless one is according to the working of Satan with all power, signs, and lying wonders. Miracles that lie. Miracles that deceive. Listen carefully. This is why there is a danger in the modern signs and wonders movement within the body of Christ. For many Christians, genuine Christians authentic Christians, the soul win. And the only way they have to authenticate a move of the Holy Spirit is with a sign and a wonder. Here's the problem. Somebody else can do that besides God. Satan says, oh, you want a miracle? I got that. I can do that. Now, I'm not suggesting God doesn't do miracles. He's still a miracle-working God. He's still a God of wonders. God still does those. There's a man that sits right here in this seat, first row, second chair, third service, every Sunday. I know for a fact in this church, he was medically healed miraculously of an eye condition that was taking his sight. He was going blind, and today he can see. I'm telling you, Jesus did that. It had no medical explanation. He still does that kind of thing, but listen carefully. If you need to see a miracle, Satan does those too, and you will be easily deceived. I'm trying to tell you if I've ever taught you anything, you must learn to filter everything you see through what God has said. Because if you're not anchored to what God has said, you will be deceived by what you see. And masses of humanity during the tribulation will be deceived by what they see. They will see a man with God-like powers. And that leads to the great delusion. The Apostle Paul is prophesying there's a great deception and a great delusion. The irresistible deception of masses of humanity. We're already living at a time of delusion, people. We're already living in a time where people are willfully blind and willfully turn their eye away from known facts. And it's just the beginning. 
Look what Paul prophesies in verse 10. And with all unrighteous deception among those who perish because they did not receive the love of the truth that they might be saved. And for this reason, God would send them strong delusion that they should believe the lie and they all may be condemned who did not believe the truth but had pleasure in unrighteousness. What we just read is simply this, that after the rapture, God will bring condemnation through a strong delusion on all those who'd heard the truth of the gospel but had rejected it. Paul is prophesying that if indeed you're left behind in the tribulation and you'd heard the gospel, you rejected the gospel, you knew the truth, had rejected the truth, you will not be able to believe because God will send a lie, a strong delusion. Well, people ask, well, what is the strong delusion? Think about this with me. Connect some dots. We can't say for sure. But just watch what is happening in our times. Connect some dots with me. You have verse 9 describing a man with God-like powers. Did you know that every ancient people group in the world have in their oral tradition and some of them in their written archaeological records of gods from the heavens coming down to the earth, cohabitating among human civilization, going back to the heavens, promising one day to return. And did you know the world's leading atheists, some of which are scientists, intellectuals like Richard Dawkins, author of The God Delusion, when asked specifically how human life got put on the planet if there is no God, he believes in a theory called directed panspermia. That's a very smart scientific way of saying aliens. No, this is not some Bible-thumping, crazy, conspiracy-ridden preacher. This is modern scientists, educated, sophisticated. They don't have God in their worldview, so obviously there's another species far more evolved than we are that seeded the human race here. That's how we got here. Oh, by the way, did you happen to pay attention at all to the congressional hearings this past week? Who'd have ever thought it? High-ranking government officials speaking on the record about classified information. I would suggest to you that someday the gods, and I mean this loosely, demons have always masqueraded as gods. Satan has always masqueraded as gods. He wants to be worshipped as a god. I would suggest to you those that are still here on this earth after the rapture will not be shocked at all when the gods return. And the delusion will be this. And they will be deceived by men who have godlike powers, lying signs and wonders. Now there's good news, good news. In the end, they all live happily ever after. Well, not all of them. Not all of them. You and me, as children of God, members of the kingdom of God, they all live happily ever after because guess what's going to happen? Satan's kingdom is going to be destroyed. It's going to be destroyed. And the battle of the ages will be over. Paradise lost is going to be paradise regained. Paul puts it this way in verse 8. And then the lawless one will be revealed, whom the Lord will consume with the breath of his mouth and destroy with the brightness of his coming. It's almost anticlimactic. After all of that, Jesus comes back and breathes on the Antichrist. You talk about bad breath. 
<laughs> yeah, Jesus got some bad breath. <laughs> Because the breath of his mouth is all it will take. With a word sharper than that two-edged sword, he will strike his enemies. And almost anticlimatically, and I'm telling you this because sometimes we have the wrong view of Jesus in our mind's eye. See, we still picture him in the grave. We still picture him on the cross. We still picture the suffering Messiah hanging helplessly, nailed to a cross. He's bloody, he's brutalized, he is bruised, and he, he's helpless. And I'm trying to tell you that Jesus Christ is not some victim in the universe. He's not struggling for existence. He is alive, he's exercising power and authority as Son of God, Lord and Savior. Philippians chapter two says, God has highly exalted him and given him a name above every name that is named, that in the name of Jesus, every knee shall bow, every tongue shall confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. 2,000 years ago, he died for our sin, he rose again, he broke the curse of sin for all men and all women, and with it he broke Satan's tyranny. No longer do we need to live under his authority. He delivered us from sin's penalty. He came out of the grave that day, saying Revelation, 118, I'm Alpha and Omega, the first and the last. I am he that was dead, but I'm alive forevermore. And I hold the keys of hell and death. He's got the keys to set you free. But today, there's some lies that need to die. Because it is not just our teenagers believing the lies of our day. It's mom and dad too. It's grown up men and women that today, need to put themselves in the coffin. Today is a good day to die and you got no time to lose. And Jesus taught only as you die and let go of your life can you ever become fully alive and fully find your life. And with everything in me, I'm trying to tell you that Christ's return is near and the day of salvation is here. It's here. Jesus, I pray for every person under the sound of my voice at every church house all over North America, every campus all over the city, right here in this Lee Summit Auditorium. God, that your grace would abound, that the Spirit of God would move as you did it one week this week, that you do it right here, for salvation is near. And we thank you that we live in the most exciting time in human history. We can say emphatically, the day of the Lord is near. Help us not to grow weary in well-doing. You promised in due season we shall reap if we faint not. In Jesus' name, amen. Church, give him the glory with me. Would you praise him? Thanks for joining us today. If you enjoyed today's podcast, be sure and subscribe and share with a friend. We hope today's message inspired and challenged you. Let's go be living proof of a loving God to a watching world. For more information about Abundant Life, visit livingproof.co or follow us on social media at Abundant Life LS.